You're listening to The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. This audiobook is brought to you by Kriti and it's narrated by Aishwarya. Chapter 5 When I came home to West Egg that night, I was afraid for a moment that my house was on fire. Two o'clock and the whole corners of the peninsula was blazing with light which felt unreal on a shrubby and made thin elegantly glints upon the roadside wire. Turning at a corner, I saw that it was Gatsby's house, lit from a tower to cellar. At first, I thought it was another party, a wild route that has resolved itself into a hide-and-go-seek or sadness in the box with all the house thrown open to the game. But there wasn't a sound anymore, only wind in the trees which blew the wires and made the light goes off and on again if the house was wrinkled into a darkness. As my taxi groaned away, I saw Gatsby walking towards me across his lawn. Your place looked like a wall fire, I said. Does it? He turned his eyes towards me, absently. I hadn't been glancing into some of the room. Let's go to the Coney Island old sport in my car. It's too late. Well, suppose we can take a plung in the swimming pool? I haven't made a use of it at all all summer. I have to go to bed. All right. He waited, looking at me with a suppressed eagerness. I talked with Mrs. Baker. I said after a moment, that I'm going to call up Daisy tomorrow and invite her over here to tea. Oh, that's all right, he said carelessly. I don't want you to put it into any trouble. What day would suit you? What day will suit me? He corrected me quickly. I don't want to put you into any trouble, you see. How about the day after tomorrow? He considered for a moment. Then, with reluctance, I want to get that grass cut, he said. We both looked down at the grass there for a sharp line where my ragged lawn ended and the darker, well-kept expanse of its begin. I suspect there he meant my grass. There's another little thing, he said uncertainly and hesitated. Would you rather put it off for a few days? I asked. Oh, it isn't about that. At least, he fumbled with a series of beginning. Why? I thought, why? Look here, old sport. You don't make much money, do you? Not very much. This seemed to reassure him, and he continued more confidently. I thought you didn't. If you'll pardon me, my you'll see. I carry on a little business on a side, a sort of sideline, you understand? And I thought... That if you don't make very much, you're selling bonds, aren't you, old sport? Yeah, trying to. Well, this would interest you. It wouldn't take much of your time and you might pick up a nice bit of money. It happens to be rather confidential sort of things. I realize now that under different circumstances, that conversation might have been one of the crises of my life. But... Because of the offer was obviously and tactically for a service to be rendered, I had no choice 
except to cut him off there. I've got my hands full, I said. I'm much obliged, but I couldn't take on any more work. You wouldn't have to do any business with Wilsium. Evidently, he thought I was shying away from the Gonaction mentioned at lunch, but I assured him he was wrong. He waited a moment longer, hoping I begin a conversation, but I was too absorbed to be responsive, so he went unwillingly home. The evening had made me lightened and happy. I think I walked into a deep sleep as I entered my friend door. So, I don't know whether or not Gatsby went to Corny Island or for many hours he glanced into the rooms while his house blazed gaudily on me. I called up Daisy from an office next morning and invited her to come to tea. Don't bring Tom, I warned her. What? Don't bring Tom? Who is Tom? She asked innocently. The day agreed upon was pouring rain. At eleven o'clock, a man in a raincoat, dragging a lawn mower, tapped at my friend door and said that Mr. Gatsby had sent him over to cut my grass. This reminded me that I had forgotten to tell my Finn to come back, so I drove into West Egg Village to search for her among soggy whitewash alley and to buy some cups and lemons and flowers. The flowers were unnecessary, for at two o'clock a greenhouse arrived from Gatsby with innumerable respectable to contain it. An hour later, the friend door opened nervously and Gatsby in a white flannel suit, silver shirt and gold-colored tie hurried in. He was pale and there were dark signs of sleeplessness beneath his eyes. Is everything all right? He asked immediately. The grass looks fine. If it's what, what you mean? What grass? He inquired blankly. Ho, oh, the grass in the yard. He looked at the window at it, but jumping from its expression that I don't believe he saw a thing. Looks very good, he remarked vaguely. One of the papers said they thought that rain would stop about four. I think it was the journal. Have you got everything you need in the shape of a tea? I took him into the pantry where he looked a little approach at the fin. Together, we scrutinized the twelve lemon cakes from the delicated shop. Will they do? I asked. Of course, of course. They are fine. And he added hollowly, old sport. The rain cooled about half past three to a damp mist through which occasional thin drops swarmed like a dew. Gatsby looked with a vacant eyes through a copy of Glay Economics, staring at the finished thread that shook the kitchen floor and peering towards the blurred windows from time to time as if it was a series of invisible but alarming happening were taking place outside. Finally, he got up and informed me that in an uncertain voice that he was going home. Why is that? Nobody is coming to tea. It's too late. He looked at his watch as if there were some pressing demand on his time elsewhere. 
I can't wait all day. Don't be silly. It's just two minutes to four. He sat down miserably as if I had pushed him and simultaneously there was a sound of a motor turning into my lane. We both jumped up and little harrowed myself, I went out into our yard. Under the dripping bare lilac trees, a large open car was coming up the drive. I stopped. Daisy's face, tipped sidewards beneath a three-covered lavender hat, looked out me with a bright, ecstatic smile. Is this absolutely where you live, my dearest one? The exhilarating ripple of her voice was wild torn in the rain. I had to follow the sound of it for a moment, up and down with my ears alone, before any words came through. A damp streak of hair lay like a dash of blue paint across her cheek, and her hand was wet with glistering drop as I took it to help her from the car. Are you in love with me? She said in low in my ear, or... Why did I have to come alone? That's the secret of castle recruitment. Tell your coffer to go far away and spend an hour. Come back in an hour, Frederick. Then in a grave murmur, his name is Frederick. Does the gasoline affect this noise? I don't think so, she said innocently. Why? We went in. To my overwhelming surprise, the living room was deserted. Well, that's funny, I exclaimed. What's funny? She turned her head as there was a little dignified knocking at the front door. I went out and opened it. Gatsby, pale as death, with his hands plung like a weight in its coat pocket, was standing in a puddle of water, glaring tragically into my eyes. With his hands still in his coat pocket, he stalked by me into the hall, turned sharply as if he was on a fire and disappeared into a living room. It wasn't a bit funny. Aware of a long beating of my own heart, I pulled the door to against the increasing rain. For half a minute, there wasn't any sound. Then, from the living room, I heard a sort of choking murmur and a part of a laugh, followed by Daisy's voice on a clear artificial note. I'm certainly awful glad to see you again. A pause, it endured horribly. I had nothing to do with the hall, so I went into the room. Gatsby, his hands still in his pocket, were relicting against the masterpiece in a strained quarter feet of perfect ease, even of boredom. His head leaned back so far that it rested against the face of a defectant maltapiece clock and from the position his strangulant eyes stared down at Daisy, who was sitting, frightened by the graceful, on the edge of a stiff chair. We haven't met before, muttered Gatsby. His eyes glanced momentarily at me and his lips parted with an abortive attempt at a laugh. Luckily, the clock took his moment to till dangerously at the pressure of his head, whereupon he turned and caught it with the trembling fingers and set it back in place. Then he sat down rigidly, 
his elbow on the arm of his sofa and his chin in his hand. I'm sorry about the clock, he said. My own face had now assumed a deep tropical burn. I couldn't muster up a single commonplace out of a thousand in my hair. It's an old clock, I told him identically. I think we all believed for a moment that it had smashed into pieces of the floor. We hadn't met for many years, said Daisy, her voice as matter-of-fact as it could ever be. Five years next November, the automatic quality of Gatsby's answer set us all back at least another minute. I had them both off their feet with the desperate suggestion that they help me back tea in the kitchen where the demonic Finn bought it all in a tray. Amid the welcome confusion of cups and cakes and a certain physical decency established itself. Gatsby got himself into a shadow and while Daisy and I talked, looked consciously from one to another of us with tense, unhappy eyes. However, as calmness wasn't an end in itself, I made an excuse as the first possible moment and got to my feet. Where are you going? demanded Gatsby in immediate alarm. I'd be back. I've got to speak to you about something before you go. He followed me widely into the kitchen, closed the door and whispered, Oh God, it's a miserable way. What's the matter? This is a terrible mistake, he said, shaking his head from side to side. A terrible, a terrible mistake. You've just embraced, that's all. And luckily, I added, Daisy's embraced too. Is she's embraced? He repeated incredulously. Just as much you are. Don't talk so loud. You're acting like a little boy. I broke out impatiently. Not only that, but you're rude. Daisy sitting in there all alone. He raised his hand to stop my words. Look at me with unforgettable reproach and opening the door cautiously, went back into another room. I walked out the back way, just as Gatsby had when he had made his nervous circuit of the house half an hour before and ran for a huge black knotted tree whose massed leaves made a fabric against the rain. Once more it was pouring and my irregular lawn, well shaved by Gatsby Gardener, abandoned in a small muddy swamps and prehistoric marshes. There was nothing to look at from and under the tree except Grasby's enormous house, so I stared at it like Kant at his church steeple for half an hour. A brewer had built it early in the period craze, a decade before, and there was a story that he agreed to pay five years' taxes and all the neighboring cottages if the owner would have their roofs attached with the straw. Perhaps this refusal took the heart out of his plan. To find out a family, he went into an immediate decline. His children sold his house with a black wretch still on the door. Americans, while willing, even eager to be serfs, have always been obstinate about being peasantry. After half an hour, 
the sun shone again and the gross's automobile rounded gatsby's drive with the raw material for his servant's dinner i felt sure he wouldn't eat a spoonful a maid began opening the upper window of his house appeared momentarily in each and every learning from a large central bay spat meditatively into the garden it was the time i went back while the rain continued it had seemed like a murmur of their voices rising and swelling a little now and then with the gusts of emotion but in the new silence i felt the silence had fallen within the house too i went in after making every possible noises in the kitchen sort of pushing over the stove but i don't believe they heard a sound they were sitting at either end of a couch looking at each other as if it was some question has been asked or was in the air and even vestige of embarrassment was gone daisy's face was smeared with tears and when i came in she jumped up and began wiping at it with her handkerchief before a mirror but there was a chance in gatsby that was simply confiding he literally glowed with a word or of a gesture of exuberation with a new well-being radiated from him and filled the little room oh hello old sport he said as if he hadn't seen me for years i thought for a moment he was going to shake hands it stopped raining has it when he realized when i was talking about that there was twinkle bells of sunshine in the room he smiled like a weatherman like an exactic pattern of recurrent light and repeated the news to daisy what do you think of that it stopped raining i'm glad jay he thought full of aching grieving beauty told only for her unexpected joy i want you and daisy to come over to my house he said i'd like to show her around you're sure you want me to come absolutely old sport daisy went upstairs to wash her face too and i thought it was humiliating of my towels while gatsby and i waited on the lawn my house looks well doesn't it he demanded see how the whole front of it catches the light i agreed that it was splendid yes his eyes went over it every arched door and square tower it took me just 3 years to earn the money that bought it i thought you inherited your money i did old sport he said automatically but i lost most of it in the big panic the panic of the war i think he hardly knew what he was saying but when i asked him what business he was he answered that's my affair before he realized that it wasn't an appropriate reply ho oh, i've been in several things he corrected himself i was in a drug business and then i was in the oil business but i'm not in the either one now he looked at me with more attention do you mean you've been thinking over what i proposed the other night before i could answer daisy came out of the house and two rows of brass button on her dreamed glass is gloomed in the sunlight that huge place there 
She cried, pointing. Do you like it? I totally love it, but I don't see how you live there all alone. I keep it always full of interesting people, night and day. People who do interesting things. I totally celebrate people. Instead of taking the shortcut along the sound, we went down to a road and entered by the big postern. With enchanting murmurs, Daisy admired this aspect or that of a feudal silk house against the sky and admired the gardens and sparkling order of John Wills and the fronty order of Hawkins and plum blossoms and the pale gold order of Kiss Me at the Gate. It was strange to reach the marble steps and find no stir of bright dresses in and out of the door and hear no sound but a bird voices in the tree. And inside, as we wander through Mary Antoinette, music room and restoration saloon, I felt that there was guest concealed behind every couch and table, under orders to be breathless silent until we had passed through. As Gatsby closed the door of a Marin College library, I could hear a swan that hear the owl-eyed man break into the ghostly laughter. We went upstairs through period bedrooms, swashed in a rose and lavender silk and vivid with new flowers, through dressing rooms and pool rooms and bathrooms with sunken bath intruding in one chamber where a disbehaved man in pyjamas was doing liver exercise on the floor. It was Mr. Kippelher, the boarder. I had sent him wandering hungrily about the beach that morning. Finally, we came to Gatsby's own apartment, a bedroom and a bath and an Adam's study where we sat down and drank a glass of some courtiers he took from a cupboard in a wall. He hasn't once ceased looking at Daisy and think he revealed everything in his house according to the measure of response it drew from her well-loved eyes. Sometimes, too, he started around his position in a dazed way, as though in her actual and astonishing present, none of it was no longer real. Once he nearly topped down a flight of stairs. His bedroom was the simplest room of all, except where the dresser was garnished with a toilet set of pure dull gold. Daisy took a brush with delight and smoothed her hair, whereupon Gatsby sat down and shaded his eyes and began to laugh. It's the funniest thing, old sport, he said hilariously. I can't when I try to. He had passed visibly through the two states and was entering upon a third. After his embarrassment and his unreasoning joy, he was consumed with wonder at her presence. He had been full of ideas so long, dreamt it right through to the end, waited with the teen set, so to speak, and at an inconvincible pitch of intensity. Now, in the reaction, he was running down like an over-owned cloak. Covering himself in a minute, he opened for us two hulking patent cabinets which held his master suits and dressing gowns and ties and his shirts piled like bricks in a stalk of dozen high. I've got a man in England who buys me clothes. He sent over a selection of things at the beginning of each season, 
spring and fall. He took out a pile of shirts and began throwing them one by one before us, shirts of sheer linen and thick silk and fine flannel which lost their fold as they fell and covered the table in many colored disarray. While we admired, he bought more and soft rich heap, mounted higher shirts with stripes and scrolls and plates in corals and apple green and lavender and faint oranges with monograms of Indian blue. Suddenly, with a strange sound, Daisy bent her head into the shirts and began to cry stormily. They are such beautiful shirts, she sobbed, her voice muffled in a third fold. It make me sad because I never seen such and such a beautiful shirts before. After the house, we were to see the grounds and the swimming pool and the hydroplane and the midsummer flowers. But outside Gatsby's window, it began to rain again. And so, we stood in a low rooking road at the corner of the surface of the sound. If it wasn't for the mist, we could see your home across the bay, said Gatsby. You always have a green light that burns all night at the end of your dock. Daisy put her arm through the abruptly, but he seemed absorbed in what he had was just made. Possibly, it had occurred to him that the colossal significance of that light had now vanished forever, compared to a great distance that had separated him from Daisy, it had seemed very nearer to her, almost touching her. It had seemed as close as a star to the moon. Now, it was again a green light on a dock. His count of enhanced objects had diminished by one. I began to walk around the room, examining various indefinite objects in a half-darkness. A large photograph of an elderly man in enchanting costume attracted me, which hung on a wall over his desk. Who is this? That? That's Mr. Dan Cordy, old sport. The name sounded faintly familiar. He's dead now. He used to be my best friend a years ago. There was a small picture of Gatsby, also in enchanting costume, on a brewer Gatsby with his head thrown back definitely taken apparently when he was about 18. I adore it, exclaimed Daisy. The pamperter? You never told me you're a pamperter or a yatch. Look at this, said Gatsby quickly. He's a lot of clipping about you. They should side by side examine it thoroughly. I was going to ask you to see the rubies when the phone rang and Gatsby took up the receiver. Well, I can't talk now. I can't talk now, old sport. I said a small town. He must know what a small town is. Well, he's no use to us if Detroit in his idea of a small town. He rang off. Come here quick, cried Daisy at the window. The rain was still falling, but the darkness had pattered in the west and there was a pink and golden billow of foamy cloud above the sea. Look at that, she whispered, and then, after a moment, I would like to get some, 
those pink clouds and put you into it and push you around. I tried to go then, but they wouldn't hear of it. Perhaps my presence made them feel more satisfactory alone. I know what we'll do, said Gatsby. We'll have Clipspur play the piano. We went out of a room calling a wing and returned in a few minutes accompanied by the embarrassment, slightly worn young men with the shell-rimmed glasses and scanty blonde hair. He was now decently clothed in a sport shirt about an hour and open at the neck, sneakers and dark trousers of a nebula hue. Did we interrupt your exercise? inquired Daisy politely. I was asleep, cried Mr. Clipser in a spam of embarrassment. That's it, I'll be asleep. Then I go up. Clipser plays the piano, said Gatsby, cutting him off. Don't you evic old sport? I don't play well. I don't hardly play at all. I'm all out of practice. We'll go downstairs, interrupted Gatsby. He flipped a switch. The grey window disappeared as the house glowed full of light. In a music room, Gatsby turned down on a solitary lamp beside the piano. He lit Daisy's cigarette from a trembling match and sat down with her on a coach far across the room where there was no light what they gleaming on floor bounced in from the hall. When Kepler had played the love nest, he turned around on a bench and searched unhappily for Gatsby in the gloom. I'm all out of practice, you see. I told you I couldn't play. I'm all out of practice. Don't talk so much, old sport, commanded Gatsby. Play. In the morning, in the evening, ain't we got fun? Outside the wind was loud and there was a faint flow of thunder along the sound. All the lights were going on in West Egg now. The electric trains, men carrying, were plunging home through the rain from New York. It was an hour of profound human change and excitement was generating on the air. One thing sure and nothing surer than a rich get richer and poor get children. In the meantime, in between time. As I went over to say goodbye, I saw that the expression of bewilderment had come back into Gatsby's face, as thought a faint doubt had occurred to him as to the quality of his present happiness. Almost five years. There must have been moments, even that afternoon, when Daisy tumbled a shot of his dream, not occurring to his on his fault, but because of the colossal vitality of his illusion. It has gone beyond her, beyond everything. He had thrown himself into it with a creative passion, adding to it all the time, decking it out with every bright feather that drifted away his way. No amount of fire or freshness can challenge what a man can strope up in his ghostly heart. As I watched him, he adjusted himself a little visibly. His hand took hold of hers, and as she said, is something low in her ears, he turned towards her with a rush of emotion. I think 
that voice held him most with its fluctuating feverish warmth because it couldn't be overdreamt that a voice was deadliest song that had forgotten me but daisy glanced up and held out her hand gatsby didn't know me at all i looked once more at them and they looked back at me remotely possessed by intense life then i went out of the room and down the marble steps into the rain leaving them there together